Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and we are continuing our series in true self-care. And today is actually the last, the last message of this series. I hope that you guys um, felt good about this the uh, this month and the different things that we're talking about. I hope it was edifying for you because a lot of times um, we we go through periods of life where we truly don't take care of ourselves, and then when we realize we need to, we look to we often look to just things we see on the internet, like on Instagram, and find self care ideas from this and that, and they're typically not great ideas. They're just um, things that focus on yourself, but it's not self-care. It's just focusing on yourself and this month We've been unpacking biblical and spiritual ways of how to take care of ourselves and today We're going to end with the idea of the need of friendship the need of friendship typically uh, self-care ideas focus on self and what you can control what you can do and it rarely goes into the idea of how we need people in our lives, how we need friendship, authentic friends in our lives. And so we're going to be looking at the life of David a lot today and meaningful friendships he had at pivotal points of his life. So starting off, let's talk about when we need friends, when you're wrong, when you're wrong. <laughs> I, uh, I one time was uh, trying to teach my brother-in-law uh, how to do some carpentry stuff and joking around I said the biggest uh, thing you must know about carpentry is to always admit when you made a mistake lucky for you I've never made any it's a little joke because um, everyone makes mistakes and it takes a true friend to stop you from making the same mistake twice it takes a true friend to stop you from making the same mistake twice there's so many different proverbs that I could list that talk about how uh, a genuine friend uh, uh, will, will correct you and how uh, enemies will flatter you. But I want to look at this story of David. This, in this moment of scripture we're about to read is where is right after David committed probably the worst act of his lifetime that we see in scripture. And that's the moment where he not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, um, but he covered it up by killing her husband. Um, and this is where it picks up after this period where he just tries to brush it under the rug. Uh, her husband dies, and then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife and try to just father this, this child that they had, uh, that they were going to have, with no one knowing what really happened. It says that Nathan the prophet came and he gave him this, this long illustration of a story of, of, of uh, someone that had many lambs that stole a poor man's lamb. And uh, by the end of the story, the prophet, shared, uh, the prophet shared this story to David. It says at the end, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the, the man who has done this certainly deserves to die. So he must make restitution for the lamb four times over since he did this thing and had no compassion. So Nathan shared this, uh, this, this whole story about just mere lambs. 
mere livestock. And it got David so upset. And then Nathan, it goes on to say, Nathan then said to David, You yourself are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. It is I who anointed you as king over Israel. It is I who rescued you from the hand of Saul. And so it goes on. Uh, this, this passage goes on in, in what God says to David and even consequences for his sin and etc. But this part here where it says, you yourself are that man. This, this uh, person, Nathan, was very friendly with David. They had, they had, uh, there's other conversations that they have in Scripture to where even when David goes to Nathan for advice, um, Nathan gives, is like, yeah, God be with you. And then God speaks to Nathan and says, no, tell him this. And he goes back. They had such a, a, a mutual understanding with each other. There's no harsh words between them, no harsh feelings. And in this mo- moment, this prophet Nathan was not only going as a prophet to the king, but as a friend to his friend. And when we are in the wrong on certain things, usually everyone knows it but us. When we are in the wrong on certain things, everyone usually knows it but us. It's easy to let our pride convince us that we're justified in our wrong in some way. Think about a moment where you were in the wrong, but you hadn't yet realized it yet. Think about all of the excuses that you make for yourself, all the ways that you justify yourself of how it's different for you, how it's okay for you to do this, even though the act is wrong, it's different for you. We justify ourselves in those moments. And while we become convinced in our ego by excusing ourselves in our actions, a true friend will tell us the truth. A a, a true friend will tell us the truth. A genuine friend will call you out on your crap because they know who you really are. I think that is the most uh, important thing to realize is that someone that calls you out, it's because they know that you are not behaving yourself. They know who you truly are, how you, what you really believe in, the, what your character is really like. And when they're calling you out, it's because you are truly not acting like yourself. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And we all go through these moments in which we make mistakes but don't want to acknowledge it. And this process always changes us into someone we're not. As we become, become more self-centered, we become more dis- defensive and we become overly critical of others. If you notice that when you're in the wrong, you often are heavily critical of other people. Even when you have an insecurity of you being wrong, maybe you're blocking out the idea that you're really, really wrong, but you have this subconscious knowing that you're in the wrong. You become heavily critical of others. And, and what it's like a defense mechanism that we have, pointing the finger at others so that there's less attention on ourselves. And our true friends will attempt to bring us back down to earth so that we don't continue down this bad path. True friends will attempt to bring us back down to earth so that we don't continue on really this self-destructive path, not wanting to admit to our mistakes. So again, having a friend in the moments that you're wrong is really, really a true friend and it's needed in our lives especially when we are going through self-care, we can make up some, uh, it's typically when we're going through a dark place that we start looking to self-care. And when we're really just emotional, those are the moments that we need friends the most. Because when you're emotional, you typically believe things 
that are exaggerated. You exaggerate things yourself. You, you just like run this, this different scenario in your head than what reality is. And a true friend will just help see those things for what it is and help you to not make the same mistakes twice. So when you're wrong. Now let's go into our next point, which is when you're confused. When you're confused. A good friend helps you to see clearly when your mind is clouded with confusion. A good friend helps you to see clearly when your mind is clouded with confusion. Now I want us to look at uh, another person that's very close to David. And this relationship changes for him at different times in his life, but uh, it's a relationship between David and Joab. And as a preface to this part of the passage, there's a moment where one of David's sons raped his half-sister, and the full-blooded brother of that half-sister, which, uh, which was Tamar, uh, killed the son, the brother of... <laughs> Sorry, this sounds like a, a old English uh, tall tale, right? Um, what was that one we read in school? Oh, well, it doesn't... Um, anyway, and so the full brother, Absalom, kills the brother who raped his half-sister, Amnon. And... At, so Absalom's the one that's living, uh, Amnon is dead, and David's response to the situation was banishing Absalom from Israel. So he's having to live outside of the city walls, and, and while this is all happening, and his son is far away from him, it's his son at the end of the day. And his, he is in this confusing moment where he misses his son, he loves his son, but he has had to banish his son, and he's in this like place of conflict and confusion of not knowing what he needed to do, not knowing what he should do. And it says in this part of the story, Now Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was drawn toward Absalom. So Joab sent a messenger to Tekoa and brought a wise woman from there and said to her, Please follow morning rites and put on morning garments now and do not anoint yourself with oil, but be like a woman who has been mourning for the dead for many days. Then go to the king and speak to him in this way. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And so this, what he does is set up this almost like a, another scenario where someone go, this woman goes up to David and presents this hypothetical story to David. And by the end of the story... David, uh, David says, no, what you're saying is right, uh, even though you're, uh, and the story was, um, I'm, a, I'm a widow, I only have two sons, and one son killed the other son, and I only have one son left. But if he is killed, if he is uh, put to death because of his killing of his brother, then I'll have no one. Please have mercy and spare him of, of this punishment. And so David sees the heart of the parent and sees uh, and says, this, what you're saying is okay, uh, the son can live. And, and, it, and it gives just this, this emotional connection to him. And then by the end of the story, she says, why don't you do this for yourself, King David? And, and it's this moment where David felt so confused about his own situation, but Joab, you, his friend, used someone to, uh, to show him the clarity and being able to see it in someone else's story, he was able to see it for himself. And so understanding uh, this part of the story 
is that the longer that we live, the more confusing life can become. The longer that we live, the more confusing life can become. When we're young, we're faced with, uh, when, with simple situations, while when we're older, life comes with more and more complex situations. It's no longer, uh, it's no longer about choosing between right and wrong, but you're having to choose between wrong and wrong, and right and right. We're faced with these complex situations where there's no easy answer, and you have to make the tough call. You have to make tough calls. And whether it's a confusing situation in a workplace, a confusing situation at home, maybe in a romantic relationship, maybe you're feeling confused about future direction, we can become so clouded with our emotions, with our desires, and even with the sheer difficulty of making a hard decision that having a good friend to share perspective can be the vital help that you need to see clearly. That was Joab for David in this situation. And some people would argue that this was that David should have never listened to Joab because Absalom later ends up having um, a rebellion and, and a conspiracy against and, and tries to take away the throne from David. I believe that that really doesn't apply to this moment because what happens later was uh, the consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba. And God makes it incredibly clear that that was what was going to happen no matter what. That this moment is seen, it's so clear in the verse, it says, the scripture says that Joab saw that David was down about Absalom. He was down about his son, so he did this. And so it's so simple to see that friends like this um, can be the vital help that we need in these confusing moments of our life. And to find friends like this, it requires something from us. It requires an extension of trust and transparency. And I think that there's, it's one thing to have like acquaintances or people that you're friendly with, but it's a whole nother thing to have a close friend that you can really trust and be open and transparent with, to share yourself with, knowing that, that they see the best in you, not the worst in you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And when we're, when we're honest with friends like that, they help us to be honest with ourselves. Now let's go into our last thought, which is when you're alone. When you're alone. And I think these are really the simplest moments of our lives when we're alone. Because a valuable friend is there for you in dark and lonely times. A valuable friend is there for you in dark and lonely moments. Now, I want to use this as this last idea. I want to share with the idea of Jonathan is to David. And in this part of David's life, he is being in the process of being exiled by Saul. Saul is starting to pursue David to kill him. Saul's jealous of David and believes that he's going to be the next king and has had literally multiple moments in which he's thrown spears at David when he wasn't looking to try to kill him. And Jonathan is actually Saul's son. And they're just the type of friends that hit it off right away that to where they just connected with each other almost as soon as they met. And in this part of the story, Jonathan tells David 
that he's going to investigate to see if his father Saul's really out to get him. And in this moment, David doesn't really have anybody else. No one is looking to be close to David because of this relationship to Saul. No one wants to be close to David because of this relationship between him and Saul. Saul is out to get him, and so the king wanting to kill him, no one wants to be around David. And so this is already an isolating moment. Jonathan is the only close friend he has that he can truly trust. And it says at this part of the story, uh, when the boy was gone, David got up from the south side, and then he fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed each other and wept together until David wept immeasurably. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in safety, since we have sworn to each other in the, t- in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. So David set out and went on his way while Jonathan went into the city. This is a moment where it says, David wept immeasurably. He wept immeasurably. And I want you to think about those moments of your life. And the only person there for him in this moment is Jonathan, this valuable friend of his. And I believe that the people that are not there with you in these dark and lonely times doesn't mean that they're not your friends. But for Jonathan, this is where his value is seen. We have friends that, are, that, that can help us when we're confused. We, can, we have friends that can help us when we're wrong. But this friend that is with you when no one else is, this is a friend of value. They are a valuable friend. No one else around except for them. And while he is weeping immeasurably, so he can't cry anymore, his friend is the only one there to comfort him. And notice that while David is breaking down, Jonathan's not doing anything. He's just there with him. And see, it's those kinds of friends that can just be with you, not have to say anything, and just be with you in this dark and lonely time so that you don't have to bear it alone. He's not, Jonathan's not even trying to encourage him. He's not trying to fix him. He's not trying to sh- uh, share the, the bright side. He's just there with him. This is a powerful, powerful display of a valuable friend. And it is these darkest and loneliest moments that we see the insurpassable value of having a friend like this. When we aren't even looking for help, uh, it's in the moments that we're not even looking for help anymore, but simply someone to be there with during it all, not having to bear it alone. And while we can't exactly control what our friends do, we can decide what kind of people we surround ourselves with. As I'm talking about all these different ideas of friends, you might be thinking to yourself of specific people that were there for you, that was this kind of, these kinds of friends for you in different moments of your life. Or you might be looking back and thinking, well, <laughs> I, didn't, I don't feel like I had anyone during any of these moments. But when you look at those times, it's not that you didn't have people you were friendly with. But it was this, this real friend that you can confide in. Those can be hard to find. And I believe that while we can't control what these friends do, we can control what kind of people we surround ourselves with. And it makes me think about when I was in a ministry internship. And there's just, uh, there's, it was, we were all very young. Everyone was fresh out of high school, mostly. And there's certain people that 
that a lot of people were very friendly. You want to you want to go play uh, volleyball at the at the gym. Do you want to go do this? Do you want to go to the mall? Do you want to go do that? They were friendly, but there are certain people that I would try to pay attention to their character. There is one person. I remember a, a young man named Eric Campos, and while everyone would go leave, he would just want to stay back and pray. And I'm like, man, I need a friend like that. <laughs> I, I need a. I want to pray more. I need a friend that prays more than I do, and I befriended him. And, and that friendship is is something that has lasted years. It's been over a decade now that I've had this good friend. I've, all the other people that I was friendly with, that they, they've uh, I haven't talked to them in over 10 years. When you think about the people you were friendly with in high school, how many of them do you really talk to now? Almost none. It, there's another friend I had. There's just that, that connection, that connection when it came to, uh, uh, whether it was when I was making a mistake, they would help me not to see a mistake twice. It, it was a friend of mine, um, David Alcantara. And he was one that would, I remember the, the first time someone ever told me, um, he, he was the first person to ever tell me, man, you, you're just way too critical. And I was like, what? How could you say that? I was only what, 18 at the time and I, no one had ever told me that. Everyone else is just so friendly and, and when you're just giving Christ, uh, your life to Christ, people will just usually say good things to you. Like, oh, you're doing a great job, I'll keep with it. There's a real friend that told me I was making this mistake of being so heavily critical. It made me really, I'm, I remember the moment he said that, and it made me really look inwardly, and it changed me. And the, one other friend I had, Harry Bernard, and he was a friend that in moments where I felt like everyone else was gone, I was alone, he was the only person that would pick up the phone. There would be a list of people I would try to call and just get the voicemail. When I would call him, He'd pick up the phone. And see, these are, these are three friends that I've had, all pivotal in different moments of my life. And I'm telling you that they were, there were moments in my life where I would notice qualities, character within them, and I would seek them out. I, I use that as an example to say to you, don't look at yourself and say, oh, I don't have any friends. But look for the people around you that would be that you could just take a guess of being a good friend by the way that they act, the way that they talk, and seek them out. Acquire friendship. Show yourself friendly. Because the other part of this is think just for a moment of every time that you could have really used a friend in like, uh, like these in your life. And the idea that you can allow yourself to be truly used by God by being that blessing of a friend for someone else. Maybe you, you feel like you can't find friends like that. You could be a friend like that. Does it take a, a special connection to be this kind of person for someone else? I want you to think about that for a moment. Sometimes we can be so vain in the way that we view people. We think that, oh, well, we're too different to be friends. We have different interests. We have different ideas. But at the end of the day, are you able to be a friend for someone? Maybe you don't, you don't feel comfortable to confide in, confide in them, but could you be a person for them to confide into? 
Maybe you could be the person that the only person there for them. It doesn't mean that they're going to only be the, the only person there for you, but you could be that friend for them. And I believe in scripture when it says that we, when we sow, we will reap. And we want these, these meaningful and vital friendships in our lives, but have we sown that kind of friendship into other people? Y'all feel what I'm saying? I want to share this last scripture in John chapter 15. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. And it says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Emphasis real quick. No greater love than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. I want you to really think about this for a moment. When you are this kind of friend, the kind of friend that we talked about today, it takes some energy, it takes some intention, it takes a giving of oneself. It doesn't mean all of yourself. At the end of the day, it's not that much. But it, you have to give something. You are laying down your life for somebody else. In the same way that Jesus has laid down his life for us. That's really what God has called us to, is to be this kind of friend for others. And in turn, we will have that kind of friend for us. It goes on to say, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, because all things that I have heard from my Father have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. You know, this, this is a really powerful moment in which Jesus is saying, I command you, love one another. And have we not gone through the motions of church before, of in and out, meaningless relationships, uh, of not really connecting with the people that we go to church with. We just get what we came for and leave. But I want you to think for a moment, when is the last time that you've truly connected with somebody at this church, at your home church, at any church? Think about the last time that you really connected with someone to where you'd call them friend, where you extended yourself or they extended, someone extended themselves to you. And I don't think that it should, it should be that hard as the church for us to find these kinds of meaningful friends. We, we have fallen short, and, and I'm not just talking about Grape Top, I'm talking about church in general. We as Christians have fallen short of being uh, of this commandment of love one another. You know, so much scripture talks about how we're to love people, but it emphasizes especially those of the faith. It's saying you're supposed to love everyone, yes, but especially those within the church. It's saying start there. And oftentimes we, we try to find anybody not going to church to, share, to show some type of love to and we ignore the very people that are at church. Uh, it, it hurts my heart to think about how many people 
feel completely alone within church. Think about how many people feel completely isolated, like they're unseen and unknown within church. There's people that commit suicide while going to church because of feeling uh, of extreme depression, isolation, and that even when they've gone to church, they felt like they couldn't connect with anybody. This should not be. Jesus is commanding us to love one another. True self-care. That I really believe that the seal of self-care is being able to have a community of people like this that can show real love so that you never have to be alone. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I could go into story after story of personal accounts of people that I would witness, talk to, and see that were actively trying to go to church but felt like they were getting nowhere because no one would talk to them. It was just a, like, hi and bye. God bless you. Yes, brother. Yes, sister. Okay. And this superficial bubble of behaving like we're connected when we're really not. Jesus says, I command you that you love one another. Lay down yourself. Be willing to sacrifice a little bit of time to have a conversation with someone. Y'all feel what I'm saying? This is the only way that we can grow in an authentic community where people truly can feel at home truly feel connected with one another and go past this superficial church phase and really feel loved and accepted. I believe that more people have left God, have left the faith, have left Christ, not because of anything Jesus or God has done to them, but because of extreme neglect that they experience at church. Jesus commands us, love one another. And with all that being said, there's no, when there's no one else physically around us, I believe this moment where Jesus calls us friends should remind how true and great his love is. The moments that we can reflect and thinking that God, the way that we could value friendship here in this world, that your creator says, I see you as my friend. Even on, on your guiltiest day, the, the, your worst states where you feel so far from God, Jesus is saying, I call you friend. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that almost feels unbelievable. Jesus calls us friend. And all he's saying in scripture is, to, is like, I've called you friend, now be friends with others. It, it's crazy how relational our God is to where not only has he called us out of this idea of, of religion, of just going through the motions, but into a raw relationship with, with himself. In the same way, he calls us to behave with others out of the superficial religious show of friendship, but into an engaged relationship with one another. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. I know that I said a lot during this message, but... I want to ask a couple things in this, in this moment, an attitude of reverence. If you're here and maybe you're at the place where you've never really seen Jesus as your friend, like the way I'm talking about, the way the scripture is talking about. 
you've never seen Jesus as this relational person. You've never seen God in a relational way. It's always been just going through the motions, checking off a list, trying to make sure you, you got everything in a row so that uh, God, you and God are right. You've never really seen it as a relationship. And today, you want to really engage with, with your Creator, with Jesus Christ, in a relationship like this, where He calls you friend for the very first time. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, that surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is that if you are genuine about it and simply talk to Him yourself, that that's all it takes to start this relationship. That's all it takes to start this kind of journey. The word repentance often gives us the scary, critical idea. When it's actually translated, it means simply to change directions. We were walking far from God at one point, and in this moment, we're deciding to walk close to God. It's a change of direction. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just talk to Jesus yourself and tell him what you want from this point forward between you and him. Now, for the rest of us, if you're here and God is putting it on your heart, the idea of being this kind of friend that we talk about in Scripture today. I know that we all need friends like this. But if you have it on your heart that God is pressing on you to, to lay down your life, to be a friend like that we talked about today, to love one another, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. God, right now I pray that you would work on these people's hearts, that you'd soften all of our hearts, but that you'd give a clear direction and motivation to these people and what it means to actively be this kind of friend to others. That you'd open their eyes to see people in need and that you would give them the right words to say, the right things to do to share the love of God with others in this way. We trust you and we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. But before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part today. We love you all so much. Have a great rest of your week. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.